I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Gun Owners News Hour. As I choke, <laughs> it's between the Zyrtec and the heat, I guess. But anyway, I digress. The United States ended 2022 with the crime crisis, and these first few days into the new year shows that problem's not going to be slowing down. In Chicago, there was a mass shooting involving four teenagers who were in a stolen vehicle on a New Year's Day. The driver was killed while the others were being taken to the hospital in critical condition. On Monday, a nine-year-old boy was killed after being shot multiple times. Police were not able to recover the firearm after arriving at the scene. That young fellow's name was Jarvis Watts. Uh... Within three days into 2023, seven people have been shot and killed, with a total of 28 residents being shot. Philadelphia rang in the new year with eight different shootings, a stabbing, and an explosion incident. Since then, there have been multiple calls of shots being fired, people being shot in the city, with three shootings involving one victim at each incident happening within an hour of each other. In Brackenridge, Pennsylvania, a town just outside of Pittsburgh, Aaron Lamont Swan Jr. was a suspect in the shooting death of Bracken, uh, Brackenridge Police Chief Justin McIntyre. Swan allegedly shot first when police pulled him over for a traffic stop, leading to a pursuit. WPXI reports Swan was able to shoot another officer in the leg before eventually being shot by officers in a shootout. Ashley McIntyre, the wife of Chief McIntyre, posted on her Facebook page, I am literally broken. I just want someone to tell me this nightmare is over. I used to have a collaborator on Lock and Load named Corinne Mosher, and uh, I interviewed Corinne. The last time I inter- interviewed her was in 2020 at SHOT Show, and uh, then her husband was killed in the line of duty, and I have not heard from her since. I can I can only imagine what that's like. Uh, someone who runs a far-left Twitter account claimed responsibility for setting fire to a bank. Uh Bank of America location in Portland, Oregon, in response to Antifa members being charged with domestic terrorism for their actions, attempting to create an autonomous zone in Atlanta. In New York City, two police officers were attacked with a machete by a suspect who yelled, Alu Akbar, and what appears to be a lone wolf attack on New Year's Eve. Trevor Bickford, 19, of Wells, Maine, is accused of becoming a radicalized member of Islam, according to ABC News. Thomas Galati, the NYPD Chief of Intelligence and Counterterrorism, told ABC News he knew what he was doing, he knew why he was doing it, and he thought he would die in the attack. 
he did yell out, Allahu Akbar. Now, that's what's going on in these cities. That is not indicative of all of America, though. This is, I mean, you know, is it any surprise to you that this is going on in the cities? Did anybody think it would stop just because it became 2023? I certainly didn't. As a matter of fact, I expected it to go up. However, this next little bit, uh, this proves to you, or it proves to me, it vindicates to me, validates to me, whatever you want to say. Um, this gives me the, uh, all I need to know to know that my theory is correct. My theory is this. You don't mess with old people. Old people are not going to sit there and puff out their chest and shove back and forth with you. If you mess with them and they're armed, they're going to deal with you. Now, the only thing about this um, is it makes me wonder what this dude was thinking because obviously he doesn't listen to me. But a, a Florida man, and you know it's a good story when Florida man plays a starring role, is in jail and facing multiple charges after allegedly assaulting and shooting at two women outside a bingo parlor in Escambia County before armed patrons. Armed patrons were able to put a stop to the attack. <laughs> 38-year-old Lee David Wilkerson is staring down a litany of charges, including aggravated assault, possession of a weapon by a convicted felon, and trafficking amphetamine, but thankfully he's not facing any murder charges, in large part because of the swift action and quick thinking of two concealed carry holders who were at the bingo hall when Wilkerson allegedly attacked the women. Now, I don't go to the bingo hall, but maybe I should start. Deputies said they spoke with a victim who said Wilkerson had shot at her and her friend. The victim said she went to the business to get jumper cables from her mother, who was playing bingo inside. She said she saw Wilkerson and another female standing outside the business. According to the arrest report, the victim asked Wilkerson if they could go inside and tell the victim's mother her daughter was there to get jumper cables. The victim said Wilkerson told her no. According to the arrest report, the victim and her friend began to walk inside to get her mother, at which time Wilkerson and the other female began acting strange. The victim said at that time the woman uh, started attacking her. The victim said that is when Wilkerson removed a small handgun from his right side, took the firearm, and hit her in the left side of her head. One of the victims said Wilkerson then pointed the firearm at her and the other victim and began shooting towards them. According to the arrest report, one of the victims ran inside the business and the other went back to her vehicle and left the business. According to the victim inside the business, she heard more shots being fired as she entered the business. A witness told police that shortly after the victim ran inside the bingo parlor, Wilkerson walked through the doors as well. That's when he's confronted by two individuals who had their lawfully carried firearms with them. And they drew down on him, and they held him at gunpoint until the deputies arrived. As they arrived at the business, they saw a white male wearing a gray jacket and blue jeans lying on the floor with two unknown citizens holding him at gunpoint. Deputies said several customers inside the business began screaming and pointing at the white male on the ground, saying, He's the one who was shooting! <laughs> deputies said they detained Wilkerson and found a large baggie containing a crystallized rock substance and a fixed blade knife. They then tested the crystallized rock, and it tested positive for methamphetamine. And, you know, without knowing any details here, this could have turned into a mass shooting with multiple victims were not for the fact that there were two armed citizens who were able to stop the suspect from doing any more damage. We'll never know because they stopped him. 
And they didn't have to fire a single shot of their own because the guy's a coward. And at the very least, the presence of these armed citizens, citizens was enough to save a woman from potentially being shot after she was pursued into the bingo hall, bringing the threat to a halt and allowing police to take Wilkerson into custody. The the, the people that did this, we don't know their names at right now. But um, they did the kind of thing that I say happens all the time. And whether they think it or not, they did something heroic. They may, might not think of themselves in that way, and I'm sure they didn't intend to play that role when they holstered their pistol before they headed out that day, but nevertheless their ability and willingness willingness to respond to a deadly threat diffused that situation without harm to anyone involved. And they should get the commendations that they deserve. On a regular basis, this happens. If you go by the CDC, the, the CDC stats that are no longer published at the CDC website, if you go by those, uh, you know, you're looking at upwards of 6,000 defensive gun uses per day of this type. Now, we know that the percentage of people that actually have to shoot people now has gone up, unfortunately. And that just tells us there's an uptick in crime, which we knew that already, right? But 82% of the time, you don't have to pull the trigger. And I'm going to guess that there was no hesitation on their part to do this, to, to, to go this way. And uh, that, that's that kind of quick thinking that you can't teach. And I, it must be part and parcel of the decision to carry a gun. Because time and time again, we see these people that don't have any, you know, they're not training to be tactical, you know, tactical wonder kinds or anything like that. They just get a gun and they go qualify with it, get the permit, and they carry it. And then something like this happens and they do something like they did. And that is splendid. Nothing short of splendid. It's not all dark. It's not all bad. Sometimes you hear a good story. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. This is Lock and Load. Now, the plans of the authoritarian left should be clear to anybody who's paying attention. The question becomes, what do we do about it? Now, right now, uh, if you're watching, uh, as I'm talking about this, uh, there, there's a big slugfest going on in the, in the House about who is going to be the speaker. And uh, I don't. 
you know, on the one hand, I, I kind of find it sort of silly because right now whoever is the speaker is sort of inconsequential, right? Uh, and I'm basing that on past on, on past uh, past actions. When Paul Ryan became the speaker, right, and and they voted eight times to re- rescind Obamacare, and then Trump becomes the president, and then Paul Ryan is the speaker, and they never vote for it, and the Senate doesn't vote for it. So some of this stuff that happens in these moments where we have a divided government, I just, you know, I'm not impressed by their work. So uh, on the other hand, what's happening right now with these uh, holdouts is that they are actually listening to their constituents, which that's a good thing. All of them in Congress should listen to their constituents. But because they don't, we have what's going on with the anti-liberty left and the anti-liberty authoritarians of the fascist left want to destroy the u.s as founded replacing it with a national socialist state in the model of red china and if you're actually paying attention you should know this by now they should go read some books and learn some facts before they project their 80 year old lies the intention of the left are quite obvious or the intentions despite the propaganda smokescreen of the nation socialist media continually carping about a four-hour, mostly peaceful protest instigated on video by Ray Epps on January 6, 2020, 2021. The evidence is right in front of you. We're making a distinction between the far-left ruling class and the rank and file. And as usually the case, the latter are being dragged along as political cannon fodder. Before World War II, everybody in Germany was a proponent of nationalist socialism. After the war, nobody was. And that should tell you something. There's a white, there's a widening gulf between the fascist far left ruling class and the pro freedom right. And there's also a widening gulf between the socialist slave states and free states. And no, I'm not going to fall for the reversal of the colors. Red was always the color of communism. See the movies Red, Reds for confirmation. As J.R. Dunn explained it a few weeks ago, Adapting left-wing terminology and usage is something that goes back a long way among conservatives, like the red-blue political identification. When this first entered media discourse in the late 90s, nobody but nobody mentioned that it was sourced from military jargon, where it was used in exercises to describe the focus of the, of the forces involved. Blue was the friendly forces. Red, with a distinct nod toward the Soviets, was the enemy. And yet conservative writers trampled each other to adapt a usage they that term themselves and all their works as enemies and enemies associated with communism at that time. Is it no wonder that they think we're stupid? And I, I've, I've fallen for that. I, I make the I make the argument all the time about them stealing the the vernacular and the vocabulary and the language and repurposing it. So we're we're self sorting between the socialist slave states and the free states. Now consider the stark contrast between the two types just in the realm of the common sense civil right of self-defense. The collectivists of the slave states are working overtime trying to think of new ways to deprive the innocent of their basic human and civil rights, all for the sake of their safety, of course. People's Republic of California is with Oregon, Illinois, Colorado, New Jersey, New York, and others in a perverse competition. 
They're trying to come up with new ways of endangering the innocent in the face of skyrocketing crime rates. Everything from unconstitutional red flag gun confiscations and unconstitutional controls on private property to insurance requirements for exercising a fundamental human right. And I still don't know anybody that writes that kind of insurance. Not surprisingly, the freedom-minded folks are voting with their feet. And they leave the socialist slave states controlled by the far left. Supposedly, if the people are fleeing to the Sun Belt, then how does that explain the massive exodus from California? Almost all of the ten states that added the most residents were in the South. Texas added 470,000 new residents. Florida, 416,000. North Carolina and Georgia both added 100,000 residents, while Arizona added 94,000. California has seen its population drop in recent years as well, beset by an ongoing housing crisis, high costs. The nation's largest state declined by 113,000 people last year. The number of people who moved out of California outpaced the number who moved in by a whopping 343,000 residents. Even the population of Oregon declined in 2022 for the first time in decades. Polling shows that people prefer to live in places where they can defend themselves, Oregon. The ability to keep yourself safe with the common sense civil right of self-defense is just one issue among many others. And it shows the growing divide between the people and the far-left ruling class. The people escaping from the clutches of the far-left control freaks will soon enough show those places to be failed states. Then they will demand help from the feral, I mean federal government to correct the problem. That's when you'll see them suddenly get very serious about border security for those states to keep people from escaping. (laughs) Uh, You know, back a few years when Trump was threatening to unleash liberty upon the land, the New York Times was talking about the two Americas of 2016. The ever-pretentiously named Big Think floated a map that partitioned the states into two countries of red and blue. And common dreams suggest parallel states. These days, they don't seem as enamored of the idea, but since they brought it up first, perhaps it should be under discussion. Here's the thing. The Constitution is a albatross around the neck of the left, right? It, it, it always is. Um, one of the things they would have us do is they want us to emulate the blue... It, the, the governors of New York and California think that we should all be the United States of California and New York. That we should do everything they say that they do. And uh, the fact that we do have a federal system actually saves our bacon from that frying pan. For those of you that live in a red state, which from here on out in my lexicon will be the, the communist states. For those of you who live in a communist state... I, if you can, and I, I know there's a lot of things in the way, but you you should think about leaving because they're not going to ever voluntarily have an, uh, an about face. And you're sort of outnumbered in those states, and you've got a lot of people that keep voting these people in because they just don't look out beyond their their own little world, their own little bubble. And for the people of the blue states, of the friendly forces, you got to stay vigilant or you're going to wake up one day and you're going to find yourself in, infested 
with a with a group think. Uh, you know, some people, a lot of people escape these other states because of the taxes and everything else. But there's a lot of things they like about them. They just don't. It becomes an economic thing. So you gotta. It, it never ends. It never ends. That's all right. It's exciting. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Welcome back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Uh, last fall, Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont raised a lot of eyebrows when he called for an expansion of the state's ban on the so-called assault weapon during a debate with his Republican opponent in the race for governor. And he vowed not to only block the sale and manufacture of modern sporting rifles, but to ban their continued possession as well, telling reporters after the debate that the most commonly sold rifles in the country were killers that should not be allowed in the state of Connecticut. However, when he addressed state lawmakers for his State of the State address, the governor's gun grab didn't get a mention from the podium. He called on legislators to address the high housing costs and crumbling infrastructure in the state, but devoted no time whatsoever to gun control or even the state's issues with violent crime, despite the fact that the state capital of Hartford just saw a record high number of homicides last year. What what changed his mind? What well, how do you explain this? I mean, probably comes down to the fact that many of his fellow Democrats have become less than supportive of his plan over the past couple of months. At least those serving in the legislature, as opposed to opining in the media. Twice in 1993, and then again after the Sandy Hook massacre a decade ago, the General Assembly has passed laws banning the sale of certain military-style weapons most notably the AR-15 and its many variations. But each time, the legislature assured gun owners that a grandfather provision would allow them to retain those guns. A seizure of tens of thousands of firearms was a legal and political line lawmakers were unwilling to cross. Senator Gary Winfield, Democrat, New Haven, co-chair of the Judiciary Committee that is crucial to the passage of gun laws, said he senses no appetite in the General Assembly to go back on the assurances made to gun owners. <laughs> and this 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 is where the, the, the leftist trope of the way they do things, this is where it catches up to them. All of these things have a very limited shelf life. Remember that. All, all of these promises the left makes to their various constituents that buy them hook, line, and sinker, very limited shelf life. Uh, Winfield said, if you've told people you're going to operate in a certain way, particularly grandfathering people and things like this particular issue, it's a really hard hurdle to clear. Lamont, who was reelected by 12 percentage points, insists he is ready to try, even though he's already been warned that passing a bill requ- requiring gun seizures would be extremely difficult, even in a state with some of the nation's toughest gun laws. But he's also said, if I don't try now, who will try? If Lamont was going to put his full political weight behind his man, he probably should have brought it up during his address to lawmakers. But instead, he talked about tax cuts and housing cuts and even the importance of protecting individual liberty. An awfully hypocritical stance for somebody who wants to gut 
the individual right to keep and bear arms. And unlike the bitter political atmosphere in Congress, the events around the 14-state Capitol complex were polite, friendly, and generally bipartisan. But Lamont acknowledged that people have to fight for your freedoms at a time when nationally many politicians are divided on LGBTQ rights and the availability of women's reproductive support. These are American values, he said to applause during an eight-minute acceptance speech. Do you want to know what's not an American value, though, Ned? (laughs) Banning commonly owned firearms and turning a law-abiding citizen into a criminal for daring to exercise a constitutionally protected and codified right. I would love to believe that this uh, lack of promotion for his gun ban is a sign that his anti-2A efforts are now on the back burner. But I'm not convinced this is the case because this never goes away, especially with other Democratic governors like Jay Inslee of Washington, Illinois J.B. Pritzker vowing to enact assault weapons bans of their own this year. Lamont has uh, previously indicated he's willing to spend some political capital in order to persuade reluctant lawmakers to to back this prohibitionist proposal. And he very well may use the upcoming vote in Illinois as an opportunity to push his ban again. But at least recently, that was the dog that didn't bark. And that's very good news for Connecticut gun owners. That doesn't mean that they can afford to get complacent. But, uh, you know, if you're in Connecticut, join the uh, Connecticut Citizens Defense League as well as, uh, you know, they have the CCDL has a federal lawsuit challenging the current ban on modern sporting rifles. So we will see. Now, as we come down the coastline, we're going to head to Georgia. Georgia borders my state. It is, uh, I, I'm between two of the bigger cities compared to where I live. Anyway, I'm between Charlotte and Atlanta. And uh, state the state of Georgia is one of many with preemption laws on the books. Atlanta has done the very level best they can to ignore those laws. And in response, they've lost a number of lawsuits that challenge their rules. So it's safe to say the city leaders aren't necessarily supportive of the right to keep and bear arms. But they also have apparently come to accept that they can't pass gun control laws. So that leaves them scratching their heads about what they can do, and they came up with an idea. They decided to do something to prevent guns from being stolen. The proposed program would offer Atlanta residents free lockboxes for their guns so they can be stored securely. The legislation allows the council to request that the Mayor's Office of Violence Reduction and the Atlanta Police Department develop a program to provide free firearm safety storage, also known as lockboxes, to those who qualify. Now, here's the thing about a lockbox. A lockbox is only good as its anchor. <laughs> if you're going to put a gun in a lockbox, first of all, there is no there that nobody makes a gun safe that nobody can get into. All gun safes can be breached. the 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 key to it is that it takes time to breach them. So the next key to it is to make them big enough and heavy enough to where they just can't pick them up and run away with them. So a lockbox of the you know the type that would hold one gun. Uh, this actually needs to be anchored to something. This is supposedly uh, proposed to uh, stop accidental shootings and re- reduce the theft. 
But there is a, you know, of all the things they could come up with, this is there. There are worse ways to use this, because if you're not actually carrying the gun, it should be in a secure location. Okay, plain and simple. And uh, I mean, I, I don't have to worry about that because I don't have little children. But there are likely a number of reasons uh, why people don't keep them secured. But part of that may well be that after people spend hundreds of dollars on a gun, they don't necessarily have a good way to secure it. They can get gun locks, but those require the gun to be stored in a manner that makes them useless. So that's why many people, you know, they're not going to do that. So if if a lockbox would do it, if it's an easily accessible lockbox, I could see where this might not be a horrible idea. Most of the guns used in crime are stolen. And if you were to provide a free way that people can secure their guns, this opens up the potential to reduce the number of guns available, right? It won't stop people from getting them, but it will probably, it might drive up the price. I don't know. We also need to be realistic. Any impact from this program is at best going to be the result of how many people opt to take advantage of it. If a lot of people did this, uh, then we may see so-called gun crime in Atlanta drop. And on the flip side, if they don't, it won't. But on the downside for the city is a lot of excess lockboxes that no one asked for compared to an immeasurable upside. And then you, you know, this, this is, uh, this, this is better than funding a gun buyback where you get a couple of 60 year old handguns that may not even function and a couple of single shot shotguns. But is this going to do anything? And I, I have no idea. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. At worst, if you assume people take advantage of the program, people can protect their property better. And and this is the thing about this. A, like I said, this has got to be anchored to something. A, a lockbox is an excellent idea for a car. It's a much better idea than, uh, you know, your glove compartment. I mean, that's the first place they go. They're turning out the glove compartment and or the console. If you had a lockbox and it was anchored to the car and they, you know, it wasn't immediately, it was going to take a little time to dislodge it. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Now, red flag laws enable a court to strip you of your gun right without due process because someone thinks that you might be a danger to yourself or to others. In an as-applied case in New York State, the New York State Supreme Court, which confusingly is not the state's highest court, that's the Court of Appeals, ruled that the Empire State's red flag law runs contrary to the Constitution. Who'd have thunk it? And this only applies to the individual in this particular case. However, it represents a shift in jurisprudence. In fact, it may spell the beginning of the end of the red flag ex parte order in which the order is issued without the respondent being allowed an opportunity to defend him or herself. And we get this. The New York law that enables the confiscation of guns from people who haven't committed a crime is unconstitutional. A state Supreme Court judge has ruled. This red flag law, or the extreme risk protection order law, 
lets individuals, including police officers, petition a court to allow the seizure of firearms from a person they believe poses a threat to themselves or others. If a judge agrees, the judge can direct law enforcement to take the guns of the person in question. The law, which took effect in 2019, has led to the issuance of more than 1,900 removal orders. However, the law is in violation of the U.S. Constitution's Second and Fourteenth Amendments because it doesn't sufficiently protect a citizen's rights, State Supreme Court Judge Thomas Moran said in a ruling in late December 2022. In addition, under the U.S. Supreme Court standards in its 2022 ruling striking down New York's concealed carry law, the red flag law doesn't fit other the nation's tradition of regulating firearms, the judge said. I know. Is my head spinning yet? The majority said in the 2022 decision that the Constitution protects people's rights to carry firearms and that a government must, for each gun restriction, demonstrate that the regulation is consistent with this nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. This court is not unmindful of the dangers firearms may pose when possessed in the hands of a person suffering a mental illness, harboring a criminal intent, or both. However, when viewed objectively, the law's goal of removing weapons from the otherwise lawful possession of them by their owners without adequate constitutional safeguards cannot be condoned by this court. While some may advocate that the ends justify the means in support of the law, where those means violate a fundamental right under our Bill of Rights to achieve their ends, then the law on its face cannot stand. Wow. I, I don't know what to think at the moment. I'm, I'm you know, completely stunned. Let's look at this finally. Um, you know, so far right now today, Donald Trump is the only announced candidate for the GOP nomination. But you would hardly know it if you were not one of the very online people. When he does break into mainstream consciousness lately, it's no longer for resetting the establishment's agenda like he did in 2015-2016. Instead, normals only hear about him because he's accidentally dining out with a cast of Sound of Music and not the Von Traps, because he's still giving interviews to regime media hacks who hate him and mock him or because he's mortifying his less Kool-Aid drunk supporters by hawking cheesy electronic trading cards. His nomination campaign is underway, sort of, and no one should be shocked that it is non-traditional. His most fervent supporters are filling social media not with praise of Trump, but with insultingly dumb attacks on his only real rival, which is Governor Ron DeSantis. My favorite one is how DeSantis allowed former Governor Jeb Bush to attend his inauguration, proving to idiots that he is exactly like Jeb Bush. I didn't realize that you could restrict somebody from coming to your nomination, but, you know, I don't go to these things. They're all joined by all the lefty bots who last week were on some other kick, let it, you know, be it calling the people questioning zillions to Ukraine Putin lovers or inveighing against those who are wondering if the vax might not be all it is cracked up to be. If you like infrastructure, your wish has been granted. The wide-eyed MAGA diehards on the left are building bridges, united in a shared desire that Trump get the 2024 GOP nomination. And that dream may not come true. Though Trump leads most polls of the GOP base right now, his lead has shrunk, and sometimes he does not lead at all. People still appreciate him and will vote for him if he is the nominee. I, you know, I have I have no issue with another Trump term, but his accumulation of wounds, which some of which are self-inflicted, is getting hard to bear. 
And though he points the finger at others, including bizarrely some, uh, you know, <laughs> anti-abortion Republicans, Trump owns a big piece of the red splash in November, as does Mitch McConnell and Rona McDaniel. Now, Trump used to back Mitch McConnell, which I used to back Mitch McConnell. It's an honest mistake. Ronald McDaniel, Trump refuses to tell her to resign after losing five elections in a row. You know, if he's the leader of the Republican Party, make it, you know, that's something you can talk about. The base in 2024 is all about winning, and we miss it. And we're not in a losing mood. Look at uh, Ronald McDaniel. She's being rejected all over the place, and Trump's not doing much winning right now. He's basically taking pot shots from his largely unread Truth Social account and making rookie mistakes that, oh, after over seven years since he came down the escalator, his supporters are tired of having to try to excuse. There is a case for Trump, and I have talked about it many, many times. And uh, a lot of people still make this case very passionately. You're not crazy if you support him. It is not insane to think he could win the nomination and then to end the the general. It is insane, though, to deny the reality that he might not win and the reasons why. And the problem for Trump is that his most coherent and compelling advocates are drowned out by the only Trump diehards who are simply beyond reason. They focus not on what Trump will do in a second term except for offering meaningless and silly cliches like only Trump can drain the swamp because he knows where the bodies are buried. They insist that their Trump supporters not Republicans and then hilariously proceed to call people who point out Trump's shortcomings rhinos. Their social media accounts rarely invoke Trump's remarkable track record as a besieged president. Instead, they attack DeSantis. Which, by the way, this is why McCain never got anywhere against Obama. He never talked about what he was going to do. He only talked about Obama. And they correctly recognize DeSantis as Trump's primary, primary threat. They allege the governor is a tool of the establishment, and the establishment, that's news to them. Heavy D is also, they claim, a, Paul of, uh, a pal of Paul Ryan, who Trump endorsed, Mitch McConnell, who Trump endorsed, Kevin McCarthy, who Trump eagerly supports for speaker, and others who tend to tick off the base. They fulminate about tools like Fauci and Ray and Millie and, and similar toads, all of whom share a in common incompetence, institutional corruption, and that Trump did not fire them when he could have and should have. None of that counts because reasons and 4D chest and trust the plan. <laughs> it's not rational. It is exhausting, but mostly it's ineffective. To win, Trump's going to have to show the party, all of the party that he can win in November 2024. This is not 2016, and a new round of subpar nicknames for GOP competitors is not going to cut it. Ron DeSanctimonious, really. Low energy jab was a killer line. This one is lame. Low energy, if you would. And if Trump keeps his up, his forays into the Iowa caucus and New Hampshire primary will be a couple of massive humiliations, and that's not even taking into account some frame-up indictment by some commie prosecutor that is sure to come. What does Trump do then if he, and, and when his dream of term 2.0 is again shattered, will he... Not run third party? He may do something arguably worse. Why, why will he not run third party? Because third party runs are for losers, which he understands, and Trump's main purpose in running is to ease the pain of his 2020 loss. He no doubt remembers his 2000 aborted reform uh, party run, a vaguely humiliating exercise that only lasted a few months, 
and key to this is the issue of the of money. The Democrats' disgraceful release of his taxes, and I hope that norm busting becomes a permanent suppository for them, and it will be, it will if the House GOP has the stones to insert it. Show that Trump does not have a ton of loose cash. The famously parsimonious tycoon is never going to liquidate his assets in a down market to fund an effective primary, much less general campaign. He does have a war chest, but that will vanish quickly, and it is unclear if he could even refill it with small money donors since the big money donors are flying south for the winter and for who they see as a winner. So, we got to pay attention to this. It's coming. Should be entertaining at the very least. Anyway, in a lot of ways, things are beginning to look up, so uh, keep your heads up. It's okay. Stay aware. Stay focused. Keep taking in the information. An informed electorate is the most dangerous thing politicians face. They can't stand that. And Happy New Year. This has been Gun Owners News Hour. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.